this is a little different than you're normally used to. So um, part of that reason is that uh, we would come and allow the Lord to jar our expectations. We, we humans, we love the rut. We say we don't, but when we have a chance to escape the rut, we find ourselves right back in the rut because it's comfortable and it's familiar and it feels safe to us, but it also doesn't challenge us. Does it provoke us to thought, to in introspection, et cetera, et cetera? It doesn't. So uh, I, I have been saying this this year because it's been the, the direction of the Holy Ghost, but people come to church with expectations. And the expectation is, okay, we're going to sing now this number of songs, and then we're going to maybe have an offering, and maybe we'll make announcements, and we expect that next thing. And then finally we, we expect the preacher's going to preach, and we expect the preacher to go a certain length of time, and we expect to get out at a certain time. And those are our expectations in coming to church. But that's not faith. And if I come to church with those expectations, I've come without faith. Because biblical faith produces expectations that God is going to do things. He's going to say things. He's going to work. And uh, if I have those expectations, then I'm not shocked when God does something out of our norm. Not surprised by that. I realize that uh, a cherry looks like a cherry, an apple looks like an apple, right? That's what you're famous for here, cherries and apples, right? But uh, I challenge you to find any two cherries exactly alike. I challenge you to find any two apples exactly alike. So the question that I have then is why do we come to church with the expectation that we're going to have church services exactly alike. Praise God. We are coming through a particular phase of life. We're coming through that phase of life. Uh, some would call it COVID. Some would call it a pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It changed all kind of things in our lives. Uh, you may believe this or not believe this. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. Uh, things are never going back to what you and I call normal. What normal was on the 1st of January of 2020 will never be normal again. Never. It's never going to be normal again. And uh, that may not be good news to you because we human beings, we love normal. But if you're God, I have a question. 
if you were God and you knew how absolutely beyond horrible hell is, and if you knew how long hell was going to last for those that go there, what would you be willing to do to get people's attention so that they face the fact they have to go to heaven on purpose? Nobody goes to heaven by accident. If you go to heaven, you'll go to heaven because you chose to go there on purpose and you chose to do what the Word of God says is necessary to do to go to heaven. Now, I, you know, in the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years, I've never been to so many funerals of awesome people who are probably going to be God's advisor when they get there because there are no lost people anymore. I'm being sarcastic. Because everybody... No matter how, what kind of life they live, when you go to their funeral, they're saved. Well, I understand the misguided concept to try to comfort somebody in dealing with death. And I have never in my 53 years of ministry ever gotten a funeral and pronounced, this person is going to split hell wide open. I've never done that. not going to do that. But I'm not going to lie either. I know what the Word of God says. And while I'm nobody's judge, the Scripture says we'll know one another by our fruits. Okay? I'm not a, I'm not a great uh, agricultural expert. But I can pretty much walk out here and tell you today which are cherry trees. That's pretty easy to do. Even riding down the road, I can tell you which are cherry trees. Why? Because they've got cherries hanging on them. <laughs> and nobody's going to say, who do you think you are calling that a cherry tree? Are you an ex expert on agriculture? Nobody's going to do that because everybody knows that you look at the fruit on a tree. And you know that tells you what kind of tree it is. Well, what about when Jesus said, we, you will know them by their fruit. So we're supposed to turn a blind eye to the fruit that a person chooses to allow to be produced in their life? We're supposed to lie? Well, <laughs> the scripture says, be... Uh, doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because if I hear the word but I don't do the word, James says, I am deceiving myself. Anybody here like to be fooled, made a, made a fool of? No. Nobody does that. But the worst kind of being made a fool of that's possible is when you make a fool of yourself. When you convince yourself something is true, when you don't even want to know whether it's true because it's too inconvenient to believe whether or not it's true. Now, I've answered this question a few times over the years. 
How can a God of love create a world that's in such a mess? You ever notice how that when good things happen in a person's life, they take the credit, and when bad stuff happens in their life, they blame God? You can't have it both ways. If you're to blame for the, if you get the credit for the good stuff, then you get the blame for the bad stuff. Or if God gets the blame for the bad stuff, then you got to give him the credit for the good stuff. But the truth is, it's not exactly like that. Because our God is a God of love. And because we look at people and circumstances and situations and all of that, we go, well, God can't be a God of love and let this happen. God can't be a God of love and let that happen. God can't be a God of love and, you know. But the problem is, <laughs> the problem is, when there was nothing else but God, and God is love, God wanted to love and be loved. But love is a choice. Love is not an emotion first and foremost. Love is a choice. And in order to love and be loved, God had to create a being with the ability to choose. Both the ability to choose, the right to choose, and the responsibility to choose. But God being God, knowing that if he violates the choice of any individual, then whatever devotion they give him is of no value to him because it's not really their choice. It's not their choice. So if I am a Christian out of obligation or a Christian out of fear, that's not really my choice. If I didn't have the obligation, I wouldn't be. If I didn't have the fear, I wouldn't be. So it's not really my choice. I feel coerced or manipulated into making those choices. And so it's, that's of no value to you and I. But guess what? It's no value to God either. It's no value to God. Oh, I know. We've been taught different than that all of our lives. It's called religion. And religion either wants to make us afraid or obligated or actually those two things go hand in hand, don't they? I'm afraid if I don't keep the obligations, then terrible things are going to happen to me. And so in the Pacific Islands, for centuries, people would throw a virginal daughter into a volcano to appease an angry volcano god. And I preached in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which borders the Congo River. And when I was there preaching a, a decade or so ago, they told me there were still tribes along the Congo River that would throw an infant baby into the water to appease the crocodile god so that it would be satisfied and not kill any more humans. And the whole idea of their faith, their religion, was to appease an angry god so that he would not punish them. You tell me the difference between that is, and Christianity the way a lot of people practice it. There are people that got out of bed this morning and are in church services today out of one reason, 
They're afraid that if they don't fulfill their obligation, bad stuff's going to happen. I want you to show me that in the Bible. I want you to show me where the God of the Bible ever communicated stuff like that. Where's that at? My wife and I have been married almost 53 years. I can just, even after all these years, I could just see her now if I say, I'm coming home tonight as your husband because that's my obligation. That's just going to cause her to be all warm and fuzzy inside, isn't it? Seriously? Now, if my wife, being a human being, is not going to accept that from me, why would my God, why would that be okay with my God? Or how about this one? What if, I, what if the day after I was married, I said to my wife, now, I would like to know the absolute minimum I've got to do to be your husband. What, what, what do I absolutely have to do to be your husband? Because once I've done that, the rest of my life and my time is mine. Any of you ladies married sitting here would have accepted that kind of proposition, said, okay, well, do this, this, and this, and I don't have any other expectations of you. Really? But how many Christians say, okay, I want to know what the minimum is that I have to do to be saved. And the rest of my life, I will run it however I want to. Now, that may work with religion, but it doesn't work with Jesus. And I'm not here practicing religion. I don't know if you came today to practice religion, but that's, I have practiced religions in decades. I am here participating in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I talk to him. He talks to me. We fellowship. And guess what? I got good news for you. He's no respecter of persons. If he does that with me, he'll do that with anybody that wants it. Anybody. Uh, You got a projector, I guess. Okay. Somebody, you got a computer. All right. Let's do this. Hebrews 13 and 5. Hebrews 13 and 5. Let your conversation, and King James Version was translated and published the first time in 1611. In 1611, the word conversation here did not mean what it does today. In our context today, it's limited to actual Verbal interchange. But conversation in 1611 translated the Greek word, which talks of lifestyle. Not just your conversation, interaction with people, but your entire lifestyle choices. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Now, of course, if we really live like that, an entire industry in our country would go bankrupt immediately. Because the purpose of the entire advertising industry is to get you to covet something you don't have and probably don't need. But they want to make it look so inviting that you suddenly come up with a desire for it. And how many people have spent themselves into debt because of the effectiveness of advertising creating covetousness? That your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have, for he hath said. Now that first part, we may not like the first part, but how about the second part? 
He had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And what is the result of that according to the word of God? Next verse. So that we may boldly say, or the Greek word there for boldly is with confidence. So that we may say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. He said, I'm not afraid of man. Oh, really? So you never wore a mask for the last 13 months. You never looked at somebody without a mask and go, what, what, you selfish individual, not wearing a mask. Aren't you afraid of making a whole bunch of people sick? Well, you know, I wore a mask because it was the law. I never one time trusted a mask to keep me from getting COVID. <coughs> that was the inappropriate time, wasn't it? Let me have one of the bottles of water. <laughs> well, <laughs> I am uh, 75, so I'm in the very dangerous age group. And, uh, I go into places and they take your temperature and they say, you don't have a temperature. I say, you, I don't have a temperature. <laughs> no, you don't have a temperature. Would you please call an ambulance? <laughs> because I'm supposed to have a temperature. And then they go, oh, well, you mean I don't have a fever. I got a temperature. So the point being, I, I'm, a, I'm a literalist. That, I, my, I drive my wife nuts with this. You go to a neighborhood, and there's a sign that says, slow children at play. And my mind goes, why are they advertising this neighborhood has so ch slow children playing here? That is so insensitive. <laughs> That's the way my brain works. Okay, so, yeah. So are you afraid of man? Everybody's afraid of man unless their relationship with God is such they know he's in control. Everybody's afraid of man to some degree. If you're, you're driving down a two-lane road and the only thing separating you from death is some painted lines and your hope that that person stays on the other side of those lines, if that's not a concern to you, you're a fool. You're going 30, somebody else is going 30, you hit head on that 60 mile an hour collision, you're probably going to get injured. And nowadays, if you're not injured by the collision, you will be injured by the uh, airbag. It's not supposed to prevent injuries, it's just supposed to prevent death. A lot of people are injured by the airbag, trying to keep them alive. So what? what, what is what is the... The purpose of this. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men shall do unto me. You know, that's kind of a practical declaration, isn't it? Seriously. That's a practical declaration. How many of you have people from your past that you really want to believe they're not a threat to you anymore? But deep down, it's, oh, don't, please don't respond. <laughs> 
But deep down inside, you're just a little bit nervous that you might see them again and don't know what they would do. Seriously. What is it that changes that? What is it that changes that? If God is love and his purpose for creating all of this was to love and be loved, and in order to love and be loved, he needed to have a being created that had the power that he has when it comes to choice. And in order for those choices to be valid choices, he cannot manipulate the choice. Now I realize in many cultures, they had arranged marriages. I don't mean to be offensive, but I'm glad I was not a part of one of those cultures. I didn't want to, I didn't want to marry somebody that my folks picked out for me. I wanted to marry somebody that picked me. And, uh, you know, I, I respect that cultures work like that. And people say, well, you know, we eventually came to love each other. Well, thank God for that. <laughs> but the bottom line is, if there's anything in existence naturally that there ought to be freedom of choice in, it ought to be choice of marriage. Now, I agree that you can choose to marry somebody, but if they don't choose back to marry you, there's a slight problem. Right. Because isn't that the painful thing of growing up? To think you're in love with somebody that doesn't return it? How many times do you get your heart crushed because you think you're in love with somebody that doesn't love you back? So that's a that's terrible, isn't it? No, it's not terrible. It's called life. It's part of growing up and understanding things. That no matter what my choices are, in most things in life, somebody else has got to make an equal choice that cooperates with my choice for things to work like they're supposed to. Why is that the case? Because that's God trying to demonstrate to you how he feels. He offers his love. You know, everybody knows the verse, don't they? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know that verse is a lie, right? God doesn't love everybody. He only offers his love to everybody. If God offers you love and you don't receive it, you're not loved, are you? Because if, his, if him loving you would force you against your will to do anything, then that wouldn't be love, would it? Because love is a choice. So, I, I, I don't have a problem with the way the verse is read. I have a problem with the way we interpret the verse. Because God doesn't love the whole world. He has offered his love equally to everybody. No matter who they are, where they're from, what their life has been like, whatever. Everybody has an equal opportunity to receive God's love. The condition is, what's their opinion of it? What's their response to it? Because if I don't respond to that love and choose to love him back like he's loved me, then I'm unloved. And the love of God 
causes God to always want to do something. Always. What is that? What's the verse say? For God so loved the world that he, he gave. The love of God always prompts him to give. But again, a gift is not a gift unless it's received. A gift is, it, it, a gift is, it, it, it automatically, the word gift automatically implies both something offered and something received or taken. I can offer to give someone something all day long, but if they won't take it, there's been no exchange, it's not a gift. It's only my intent to give, but it doesn't become a gift until it's received. So when God so loved the world and he wanted to give his love, then I don't have that love, and it's not a gift of love until the one who, who that the love is being offered to receives it. And what, why, you know, I, I'm 75, and uh, last August the Lord told me I was going to spend this year on the road. And I half facetiously, facetiously said to him, Lord, you do know there's a pandemic going on, right? Yeah. Uh, the way it's been working, people should have paid me to come. I didn't do it, but of course, when I just before I got to Texas, they relaxed the restrictions. We we were able to have church. I got to New Mexico the week I week week weekend before I got to New Mexico, they lifted all restrictions so you could have church services and eat in restaurants. A week and a half before I got to Arizona, they did the same thing. When I got to California, one of the places I preached, it was the first indoor service they'd had in a, over a year. So he took care of all of that, all right? But what in the world is a 75-year-old man doing traveling to 48 churches in a year in an RV? That doesn't even make sense, does it? Because there's a message. And you can do what you want to with this message, but the Lord has sent me to try to help people understand how much he loves them. But here's, here's modern love. If you love me, you'll let me do, have my own way. You'll give me what I want. You won't let anything bad happen to me. You'll make my life perfect. And if you don't do that, you're not God. Well, guess what? Then you don't have a God. Because his goals and purposes are different than ours. I'd say I'm pretty close, if not easily so, just about the oldest person in the room. I don't know where those 75 years went. My, my wife and I have to go back and forth between here and Maryland because of responsibilities there about once a month. And I came back early, and she came back a few days after that, and I saw her phone, and there was a picture on, on her phone's wallpaper. What do you got that on there for? Some guy in his 20s. <laughs> that, 
are you trying to send me a signal? Because I don't look like that. <laughs> Not even remotely close to that. You put that picture up next to my picture, you go, who's the old guy? Is that his grandfather? No, not. No. I don't know where these 75 years have gone. James 4 says our life is a vapor. Hang around. How many of you, before you went to bed last night, said, no, God, we desperately need the sun to come up in the morning. Now, Lord, if the sun doesn't come up tomorrow, all kind of bad things are going to happen. So have mercy on us and have the sun come up. Anybody pray like that? No. Isn't it amazing the number of people that automatically assume the sun's going to come up and there's not any government has anything to do with it? Now, that's shocking, isn't it? That the government hasn't been in charge of making sure the sun come up. But, of course, we know if the government was in charge, it would come up late or come up early or come up too hot or too cold. So if your faith is in the government, and I'm not anti-government, I served in the Navy, and I'm still a retired Naval officer. Got the ID card in my wallet. Not anti the government. I'm just telling you government is of man, and government can't control all this. If this is who you're trusting in, <laughs> oh, Lord, you want to badmouth God and trust the government. Mm-hmm. That's really, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah. How's that working out for you? And, of course, we got rid of horrible Trump, and now we have absolutely great Biden. How's your pocketbook feeling? You enjoying paying 40 and 50% more per gallon for gas? Hang on. Don't worry about it. It's going to change. It's going up. I'm not, that's not a political statement. I'm telling you, it's going up. Why? Because one of the ways to enforce the Green New Deal is to make gas so expensive you can't afford to buy it so they reduce carbon emissions. That's the plan. Do you get it? Gas didn't suddenly get a dollar more a gallon expensive because we changed governments. Hello? It's just the way it is. So if your trust is in the government, your trust is in man, you've got to have fear that you don't know what to do with. I respect the government. I wore a mask. I've been on at least 25 air, airlines, uh, airplanes since the first weekend of October. And I had to put on a mask when I got out of the car at the curb. All the way through the airport, the whole entire flight, all the way through the airport, getting my bags. I got out to the curb. I could take it off. I wore it because that's what the law said, not because I thought it was going to do anything for me. You say, well, I believe in mass. That's wonderful. I'm glad you do. But that's, that's between you and God, between you and the government, whatever. I submit to, lo to lawful authority, and I wore a mask because authority said for me to. I didn't believe one time that was going to keep me from getting COVID. 
Now, again, if you see things different than that, I, I'm not going to fuss with you. It's your right to perceive different. Really, I'm not, I'm not trying to persuade you differently on that. I'm just simply saying to you, trust the government all you want. Trust man all you want. But I'm not trusting man or government. I'm trusting God. And because I'm trusting God, he can use me to love man. See, if my hope is in man, then it's hard to love people whose lives are messed up. But if my trust is in God and he loves everybody the same, it doesn't matter what their life is like. He loves them, right? Because he loved me. I've said this many times. There's only one thing that gives me the right to hold this microphone and talk to you. One. Education? Nah. No. You're a good person? No. The thing that gives me the right to hold this and talk to you is the blood of Jesus. I am a regular participant in receiving the work of the blood of Jesus in my life every day. When I was young and didn't know very much about all this, I thought there would be a day I would get old enough and spiritual enough that I would never make any more mistakes. Well, I've got good news for me. I'm still not old enough. (laughs) So if I have that to look forward to, then... I'm going to keep on living a while because I haven't gotten there yet. And uh, I'm beginning to think that was not true. It was fallacy. It was falsehood. It wasn't biblical. Well, what's the problem? I was raised in the church. And as a kid growing up in the church, the pressure was, to do everything right and not do anything wrong, okay? Well, let me hear me right now. The pressure to be perfect destroys more people than you can imagine. Why? Because when I think I'm being expected to be perfect, I can't repent easily when I make a mistake. But if, God, if I know God knows, I'm not perfect. In fact, Psalms 103 says, he remembers our frame. He knows we're made of the dust of the earth. Is this a license to sin, to live any way we want to? No. No, it's not. But it's an acknowledgement by God that he left us in this life, in this stuff right here. And Paul said of my flesh, in me that is in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. What does that mean? That means I'm not going to be perfect. Because no matter how hard I try, I just can't do this perfect. The good news is the blood of Jesus. And why was the blood of Jesus shed? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, There's a lot of people that stops right there, but that's conditional. If you want the benefit of God's love and the, the death of Jesus on the cross, 
that he that believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And believing is not by our definition of belief. Believing is by the biblical definition of belief. What does the Bible say it means to believe? Okay. If the Bible says that Jesus is the Word made flesh. I like your tie, man. Look at that blue and gold tie. I'm sorry for the distraction. I'm just kind of. That's my colors right there, blue and gold. Oh, praise God. <laughs> so if, <laughs> if the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, why? He died on the cross because there's no way for me to save myself. Oh, this is good news or bad news depending on your perspective. Jesus died on the cross for you because there's no way for you to save yourself. So in order to try to save yourself by being good, you have to deny that Calvary ever happened. You have to deny those across. You have to deny someone died in your place. You have to completely deny that. If you're trying to be saved by being a good person, and you want to deny the existence of the cross, and deny what happened on that cross, uh, then, you know, you're, you're your own savior now. Good luck with that, and there's no such thing as luck. You can't save yourself. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, First uh, John chapter 4, verse 16. See, a lot of folks are in church today because it's their faith. It's their religion. And they come to church and they, go, they leave church exactly like they came in. I'm going to make a statement to you today. Because in a few moments, the Lord's going to be doing some things. We're laying a foundation for that. If you leave this service today... The same person you came in, it's by your choice, it's not God's fault. God is willing for you and I to change. I don't ever expect to come into his presence when the people of God are assembled and leave the person I came in as. How can I come in to the manifested presence of God and hear the word of God spoken and that not change me? How can I do that and it not affect me? And what I mean by affect, it's not me getting in the car, looking to my wife and saying, that was a good service today. Somebody define good for me, please. If that service didn't affect me somehow, I wasted my time. Now, if it didn't affect me and it's because I chose for it not to affect me, that's on me. And I'm saying to you today, it's the will of God. The will of God for you and I to leave this place different people than we came in here. 
So, here we go. And we have known and believed the love that God hath toward us. Or God hath to us. God is love. Not has love. He is love. Love is God. God is love. Now, without getting into great off the, the point ex- explanation, the Greek word here is agape. The word philio in the Greek is human emotion. It's feelings. Agape is God. It's a love beyond all other loves because it's God. And we have known, and the word there in the Greek means we have known it experientially. We know God's love by experience. And we believe, and the Greek word there doesn't mean I've given mental assent to something. It means I have put my trust completely in. I am relying upon. I am depending upon. That's why I say uh, we define what we mean by the word believe, and the word believe is used to translate a Greek word that doesn't mean what we believe, believe means. Because I don't believe if I'm not trusting it. Okay? Sometime in a the next hour, because I've got to go to Union Gap at 11 <laughs> and preach there, I'm going to go out and get in that Jeep. And yeah, I've got to turn it on. I've got to put it in gear. I've got to steer it. But I've got, I'm trusting that vehicle to get me from here to there. I'm not walking. I'm trusting that vehicle. And like I said already, We're trusting yellow lines to keep us safe from people going at various speeds the opposite direction from us when there's only a few inches separating us from life and death. We trust those people. We don't know those people. We've we've never talked to those people, 99% of them. We don't know if they're sober. We don't know what their driving skill is. We don't know how long they've been driving. We don't know, but we're trusting those people we do not know to stay on their side of that yellow line so that we can stay alive. And then people say they're not going to trust God because they can't see Him. Like I said, I've been on 25-plus airplanes already since the first weekend of October. I didn't stop the at when I first got on the plane with a flight attendant and say, I'd like to see the pilot's credentials. I'd like to see his breathalyzer test. I'd like to see uh, his, uh, his, I want to see his medical records. And if you've flown, you haven't done that either. I don't know who this guy is. 90% of the time, you never see their face. Or sometimes it's not a guy. Sometimes it's a lady. You don't know them. You don't know how long they've been flying. You don't know what their skill level is. But you go and you sit in the seat and you strap yourself in and you trust your whole rest of your life to this person you do not know, don't know anything about them. And then you say you can't trust God. Seriously? Seriously. Do you go to doctors and required to see their educational scores 
all of their recommendations of all of their testing and internship uh, and the record of their success and failure rate in taking care of people before you sit down and entrust your health to this person? No, you don't, do you? But you can't trust God? The one that caused the sun to come up this morning, going to cause to go down this evening and come up tomorrow? I, I, I've been doing this recently because it's really cool. I've got this app, okay? I know, I know, 75-year-old people aren't supposed to know anything about technology. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> According to this app, right here where we are, the sun will set this evening at 8.57. The last light will be at 9.37. Tomorrow morning, first light will be at 4.29, and sunrise will be at 5.09. But guess what you can do with this app? Let's check today's date 15 years from now. Okay, right here on June the 13th, 2036, the sun will come up at 4.30 a.m. Our first light will be at 4.30. The sun will rise at 5.09. sun will set at 8.58. sun last light will be at 9.37. Oh, that's, I'll tell you what's really cool. Now I can check a different location, and uh, let's, let's, let's find out where I live, okay? Where I live, okay, yeah, there it is, okay. All right, so where I live on June the 13th, 2036, the first light will be at 508, the sunrise will be at 540, sunset will be at 834, and... Uh, Last light would be at 9.06. Let's do one more. Let's go to, uh, oh, let's pick Rome. Okay. So in, room, in Rome today, today, the sun will set, uh, the first light will be at, it's already dark there. It's 5.01 a.m. will be first light. 5.35 a.m. will be sunrise. Sunset will be at 8.47, and last light would be at 9.22, and then I can take you to any day, year, and it'll tell me how. How is it possible? Somebody tell me how it's possible for them to know the exact minute of sunrise and sunset for any day of the year for any location on earth. Tell me how that's possible. Who controls that? Science doesn't control that. Well, you know, Mr. Newton invented the uh, gravity, so there was no gravity before he discovered it. He didn't discover gravity. People have been falling off of stuff for years <laughs> before Newton ever defined gravity. You know, we give, we give scientists credit for discovering stuff. It wasn't lost. Man just didn't understand it. It was always there, always working. But we want to believe the science. The French Academy of Science published a document in the 1850s, 100 scientific facts that disprove the Bible. It's not a coincidence that not one of those are considered to be fact today. 
But science said in 1850 it had 100 facts that disproved the Bible. Guess what? The Bible still believed and is still true, and science is still trying to catch up. The Bible taught the world was round from the beginning. Science said it was flat for decades, for centuries. And because science said it was flat, you were considered a heretic by the church at that time if you believed the world was round because science, their scientists, said the world was flat. Oh, yeah. For we have known and believed, put our trust in the love that God hath for us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, God in him. Next verse. Herein is our love made perfect. And the word perfect there in the 1611 King James English does not mean what our love today, what the word perfect means today. The word translated perfect there means grown up, mature, fruitful. Dependable is a good way of looking at it. Here in our, is our love dependable, mature, trustworthy. That we may have boldness, and the Greek word there's literally confidence in the day of judgment. And the Greek word there is translated or spelled in the English equivalent letters K R I S I S. Which word is that in the English? Crisis. The love of God gives you confidence in the day of any crisis. Why? Because no matter what level of schooling you're in or have been in, every course has a final exam. Life has a final exam. Life has a final exam. And a good teacher gives you homework and pop quizzes and midterms. Those aren't your grade. That's just to let you know if you're learning the subject or not. Because every class I've ever been in, the final exam was 50% or more of your grade. Because they want to know what you learned. Well, Judgment Day is the final exam to see what you learned. Well, God of love wouldn't send people to hell. He's not. He's only going to pronounce to the world the decision we made on what we're going to do. You and I are sitting here today deciding whether or not we're going to heaven or hell. It's our decision. Of course, some people think they're going to get there their way. He was here first. You don't get to change the rules. Here is our Lord, love made perfect that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Next verse. Here it is. You ready? Now, I'm going to make this statement before I read it. This verse is either an absolute lie or this verse is one of the most true things you've ever read and it's one of the most reliable things you've ever read. There is no middle ground here. This isn't just a nice thought you can take or leave. This statement is so absolute that you either believe it and trust in what it says 
or you don't believe it, you reject it, and you do your thing, and we'll see how that works out for you. There is no fear in love. Now, we're not talking about human love here. We're talking about God is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect, mature, dependable, trustworthy love, our confidence, our knowledge of his love by experience, and our trust in his love, that's what perfect love is. We've grown into a knowledge of his love by experience, and we've grown to trust his love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. And we've all seen fear for the last 15 months plus. You go into stores, you see people kind of wide-eyed looking around. Who's going to give me COVID? Who's going to give me COVID? Who's going to give me COVID? We've had people killed in Maryland over arguments over somebody not wearing a mask. Because fear was so strong that the person was confronted without the mask and they got into a fight. and Not just one. Fear was so strong. It wasn't COVID that took life. It was fear of COVID that took life. And I'm not minimizing COVID. I know people who are sick and I know people who have died from COVID. I understand all that. I'm not minimizing that. I'm talking about fear. Fear, because, per, because fear has what? Torment. Torment. He that feareth is not mature in their love. They have not experienced his love enough, and therefore they have not come to the place they trust his love. They don't trust he's in control. So they have fear. I have a choice. I love God and trust God and know he's in control. And nothing can happen to me that's not his perfect will. Whether I call it good or bad, he's in control. He's got a plan and purpose for everything. I trust that. I trust him. If I trust him, I don't have to fear circumstances. I don't have to fear sickness. I don't have to fear the devil. It's appointed unto man wants to die. We're all going to die someday. But if you read Hebrews 2, you'll find that Jesus Christ was manifested to destroy our fear of death. Why? We're all going to die. And the reason people fear dying is because they don't have confidence in where they're going. I'm not going to be threatened with heaven. I'm not. If today, before I can get to the interstate, somebody crosses that yellow line, and I'm dead before the service starts over there today, so be it. That's flippant. No, it's not flippant. It's confidence. He's in control. There's an appointment for me to die. That's what the book says. It's his plan. Well, why don't he tell us when the appointment is? What? So we can live how we want to the last second and then. No, that's not the purpose. 
The Bible says no man has the power to retain the spirit in the time of death. You can't keep yourself alive. Oh, they do on machines. No. No, they can keep your heart beating. But how many times do they say there's no brain activity? The person's dead. They can keep you artificially breathing and your heart beating, but you're not alive. Well, here's the problem. I'm not a negative person, and I am not a fearful person, but I'm telling you what the Word of God says. Things are going downhill from here. You're either going to find Jesus and his love for you and learn to trust that and live without fear knowing he is ultimately in control, or you're going to live in such terror. The Bible says that men are going to gnaw their tongues for fear for what's coming on this earth. Well, you're a doomsday preacher. No, I don't. No, no, I'm not. That's not doomsday to me. Jesus is coming. I'm going. Praise God. That's what the purpose of this is, isn't it? I'm not afraid of Jesus coming. <laughs> I'm not dreading Jesus coming. However long he leaves me here, that's his business. And I'm going to keep doing what he wants me to do as long as he leaves me here. But I'm not afraid of Jesus coming. I'm not afraid of dying. Why? Because this is not heaven. This is all temporary. It's all temporary. But so many people live in fear because they're trying to hang on to this. They're trying to hang on to this. It's, it's, it's all these people that spend tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars in plastic surgery trying to look like they used to. I got bad news for them. It didn't work. You know I'm telling you the truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've seen pictures of people that have become grotesque looking, trying to look young. Well, you don't look young, but you don't look like you either. You look like, oh, God help you. I mean, is you consider that an improvement? Right. Right. Here's the verse, next verse. We love him because he first loved us. That's what he's in this room wanting to do right now is love you. Now, the problem is, again, he's offering his love but many of us don't feel love because we are not receiving his love because we have things in the way that won't let us believe that he can love us. So we're going to pray for those things right now. We're going to pray for those things. Okay? The first thing we're going to pray for is sin. The greatest miracle God has ever done in the life of any human being is taking their past and wipe the slate completely clean and makes them a brand new person. They may remember their past. Others may remember their past. But he promised he would forgive our sins and remember them no more. Isn't that amazing? That is the most amazing thing. I, 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 can't, I don't understand it, but I believe it because I've experienced it. That everything I've ever done or things I didn't do, I should have done.
that he paid the price on the cross so he could forgive me of every bit of that. So that when he forgives me, I'm as innocent as I was when I came out of my mother's womb. But the problem is this. Again, he can't violate your choice. And the only way you can be forgiven is exercise your choice and ask him. And some of you are faithful to this church and you really want to go to heaven. But you feel so bad about yourself because there's stuff you remember that you, you just don't believe that you're good enough. You're not. I'm not either. That's the whole thing. To receive God's love, I've got to receive it on his terms. That means I can't believe I've deserved it. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. The only way I can receive his love is receive it as the gift it is. It's an act of his love. But by receiving that love, that love empowers me to let all this stuff go. So I don't ever have to dwell with it. I don't have to fear facing it again. That Paul said it this way. Some men send their sins before them to judgment. And some men's sins follow after. I'm going to tell you what. Many times a day, no matter how small some people would consider it being, to me, I'm sending that, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. I'm sending that before the judgment. So the blood takes care of it before I get there. So that by the time I get there, the, the record is clean and I am saved. I don't want anything getting there after I do. That hasn't been dealt with by the blood. But here, this is, the so, this is the amazing thing. All of that guilt, he takes all that guilt away. He wants all that guilt gone. Why? Because if I'm feeling guilty, I can't believe he loves me. He doesn't want you feeling guilty. He died on the cross for your guilt and my guilt. He died so you and I could be forgiven. And I know, I know the intellect says, how's that possible? The only explanation is this, love. <laughs> love. The love of God is so great, and he is the only one that can do this. Nobody, no doctor, no psychologist, no counseling, nothing. No, nothing and nobody can do this for you but him. He's the only one that can wipe the record clean. So we're going to pray. You, just between you and God right now, you don't have to pray loud enough that the person sitting next to you can hear, but you have to speak it. Because out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaketh. It may be only whispering. You don't have to say it loud enough for the person sitting next to you to hear. But it is so important today, if you want to know you're loved, you've got to let his blood remove every obstacle for, to you believing that he loves you and is willing to love you. And that obstacle is sin. And he's already paid the price for that sin. In the name of Jesus, what you're feeling in this room right now is the manifested love of the presence of God. The Lord loves you. And he's manifesting that love. It's so gentle. His love is so gentle and so sweet. It's so kind. He's so loving. It's between you and him. He cannot force you to repent. He cannot force you to be, to be forgiven. But you, you have to exercise your will. Jesus, I confess my sins. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me, Father. Come on, the Lord's doing something here right now. Right now. You don't have to leave here 
the way you came in. Whatever burden of sin, whatever whatever you got had any guilt over when you walked in this room, it is the will of God for you to leave this place today without this guilt. It is the will of God for you to leave this day this place today without this guilt. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I loose the spirit of the love of God upon us. I loose the spirit of the grace of God upon us. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you right now for your blood to wash every mind, every heart, every conscience clean and make us free, Father, of every bit of it, Father. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Brand new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Come on. The Lord's doing it right now. In the name of Jesus. 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 In the name of Jesus, be free. In the name of Jesus, be free. (laughs) In the name of Jesus, be clean. In the name of Jesus, receive the love of God and be forgiven. In the name of Jesus, believe the love of God. Trust the love of God. In the name of Jesus, the love of God that sent Christ to the cross for you personally. He died for each of us personally, individually. He knew us when he hung on that tree because he was God manifest in the flesh. Come on. In the name of Jesus. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we're liars and the truth is not in us. In the name of Jesus. But the love of God is so awesome. The love of God is so wonderful. That every moment of the day, every every day of the week, God is willing to cleanse me again and again and again. That's not an excuse to sin. It doesn't justify sin. It just means that he is, he's willing to forgive us. I don't ever have to feel guilt. I don't ever have to carry guilt around over anything. Hallelujah. Now, I, I, I apologize. Uh, this, the schedule, I'm working with the schedule. Okay, but and so what what I, we're about to do is uh, is step two, <laughs> and uh, and and uh, I'm going to spend as long with that as I can. Step two is this: Jesus said, "If uh, if I have an offense against somebody else, then He can't forgive me." Some of us have really, honestly asked the Lord to forgive us, but we still feel guilty, and we don't know why. Then that means He doesn't love us. No. If I've asked the Lord to forgive me and I still feel guilty, 
It's not because he doesn't love me. It's because I'm asking him to forgive me when I am still holding a grudge against somebody else. The old saying is, the old saying is, that if I have a grudge, it's like drinking poison and expecting the person that I have a grudge against to die. No, grudge poisons your spirit. A grudge poisons your faith. A grudge is a barrier between you and God. And it's one of the worst burdens to carry. And there's not a person in this room that hadn't offended somebody, whether you intended to or not. And so there's not one of us that can ask God to forgive us and ask somebody else to forgive us and not forgive. But you don't know what they did to me. No, no, I don't. No, I don't. But you're the one carrying what they did. You're not free. And the Lord Jesus Christ, you want you to be free. So we're going to pray now. We're going to pray. You don't have to pray. That's not anybody can make you pray. And some of you have got grudges you've held on to for decades and decades and decades. Isn't it time to finally be free? Isn't it time to finally let this stuff go? Isn't it time to finally be new? Isn't it time? Isn't it time to let that go? But you don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter. It's not a, what's important is not what they did to you or didn't do to you. It's that you're free of what they did to you, that you're not carrying this anymore. So you not only can be free, but that God can also forgive you of your sins. Because if I'm asking him to forgive me and I don't deserve it, he's expecting me to forgive or him to, me to let him help me to forgive, even though that person doesn't deserve it. I don't deserve to be forgiven of my sins. Yet he forgives me. So that's why he expects me to do the same thing. He expects me to let him help me to forgive them even though they don't deserve it so I can be free. Come on. Come on. The Lord's working here right now. There's people that's come into this room today that are carrying grudges they've had for decades. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about people that have been baptized in Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost that are carrying things, carrying things they've had for years. Be free in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. <laughs> I loose the grace of God upon you to empower you to let it go, to give it to Jesus. Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. ha. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. You can leave here a different person today. You can leave here brand new. A brand new person. You can leave here different than you came in. You let him have your sin. You let him have your grudges. And you're free. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
in the name of Jesus. Now, again, I, I trust the Lord. This is the situation we're in, so I'm dealing with it, right? So here's the point. Over the next few hours, days, weeks, some of you, the Holy Ghost is going to move on you, and you're going to go back into a time of repentance. For others of you, the Lord's going to move on you. You're going to go back into a time of prayer of forgiveness. Some of you, you've done what you need to do today, but others of you, you made a good start. But there's one more thing, number three, that is absolutely essential, and if you don't do this, it's never going to work for you. I was molested when I was five years old. I spent 33 years on my good days. I didn't like myself on my bad days. I hated myself, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I felt broken. I felt damaged. Most days I felt hopeless and helpless to be any different. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was a Christian. I was a pastor. I was a husband. I was a father. I was... I was trying as hard as I could to be the Christian I was supposed to be, but I just felt I just felt like I could, just couldn't get there. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't understand this. this. None of this was ever preached to me. And then the Lord revealed to a man of God who ministered to me, and I'm not going to tell that whole story today for time's sake, and that man of God revealed to me that I was dealing with shame. Shame is a grudge I have against myself. It's called self-blame. Well, I don't have any of that. Really? Let me ask you this. So when you make a mistake, you do something that embarrasses you, you don't say any bad stuff to yourself about yourself, right? Nah. It's called cursing. I didn't say profanity. Biblical cursing is when you say negative things you speak negative things so whenever i would make a mistake i would curse myself you stupid idiot what is wrong with you you will never do anything right you can't ever get it right there you're hopeless and i'd go on like that and just beat on myself and just beat on myself and say this stuff to me i'm a child of god i'm a pastor i got the holy ghost had peaches, people, people that are depending on me. And that's the way I would talk to myself. You know, I got the Holy Ghost, but I'm not going to let you talk to me like that. <laughs> You're not talking to me like that. But I would talk to myself like I'd never even consider letting anybody else talk to me like that. Does that sound like you? Yeah. How about this one? <laughs> Oh, Jesus. How about memories that hurt so bad when you think about them, you bury them so you don't think about them? Or they memories that cause anger or memories that cause such, cause such feelings of regret, such feelings of hopelessness that you can't undo them. Things you did you shouldn't have done, things that you should have done you didn't do things that were done to you that should have never been done things that should have been done for you that were not done all of these things 
It's a proven thing. This isn't about our brains. This is about our feelings. And in our emotions, we beat ourselves up. It's called shame. It's a grudge you have against yourself. I didn't read this in a psychology book. I got this out of the Bible. God gave me these answers for me because I would not have made it without this. There's people in this room that have, were abused physically as a child, some sexually, some just verbally. Not that that's less hurtful. You know the old saying, sticks and stones will hurt, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the absolute lie. It's the exact opposite true. Sticks and stones, the wounds from them will heal. But words don't ever go away. How many of us have words that people have spoken to us, hurtful words, that we can hear them in our brains to this day? It is the will of God because of the love of God for you to be free. I spent 33 years and never spoke to one living human being what happened to me. Because I was so ashamed. But when God healed me, set me free, I've told that story to thousands of people. You can go on my YouTube channel, Apostolic Iron. I've got two seminars on there that I've told the whole story and what God did to me and all that. And thousands and thousands of people have watched that stuff. Do I look embarrassed? No. Why? I'm healed. You see that scar? I got a scar there. You guys acknowledge to the whole crowd there's a scar there, right? Okay. It doesn't hurt. You know why? It was a wound, but now it's healed. If you've got hurts, they're not healed. There are things that happened to you in your past. They hurt to this day. You're not healed, and that's not the will of God. The Lord wants you to be whole. He died on the cross, shed his blood, gave his life for you, and sent his spirit back for you so you could be washed in his blood, his name could be put on you, his spirit put in you, and you can be whole. It's the will of God for you to be whole. It's the will of God. All that pain for your past needs to go. But here's the problem. It doesn't make sense to our mind because it's in our heart, our emotions. I've got to forgive myself because I beat myself up with that stuff all the time. And you can pray whatever way you feel to pray, but this is what the Lord led me to pray. A memory would come, and I'd go, Father, by your help and grace, I forgive and release myself for, and I'd fill in the blank of that memory. And when I'd do that, it'd go away, but another memory would come. And then... And so every time the memory, a memory, new memory would come, I'd pray that same prayer. Father, by your help and grace, I forgive and release myself for. And then eventually, after a day or two or whatever, the frequency of them started to slow down. And then over another week or so, it became a rare thing. But you know what? I don't care where I was, what I was doing. When a memory would come, the memories I used to bury and push down because they hurt too much, Whenever those memories come up, I would pray right there, wherever I was. I didn't make a spectacle of it. I'd just pray right there. I refused to keep burying stuff that was hurting me. My mind, my conscious mind didn't know what was wrong. But my subconscious mind, my inner man was hurting really badly. It's the will of God for you to behold today. We're going to pray. This is an opportunity. There's nobody making you pray. It's your choice.
it's your choice. It's the will of God for you to pray. But if you don't want to pray, you're not willing to do that, that's up to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose, I loose the spirit of God. I loose the spirit of the love of God. I loose the spirit of the grace of God upon us. I loose the spirit of the power of God upon us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, by the love of God. Empower these people, Lord, to forgive and release themselves that they might be free. I bind these wounds in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I command these wounds to be healed. I command the infection of self-blame and bitterness to loose you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, be free. In the name of Jesus, be whole. Come on. Release it to God. Release it to God. Release it to God. Let him have it. Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, come on, in the name of Jesus, there are miracles happening in this place today that only eternity is going to reveal. There are major miracles of healing and restoration happening in this place today that only eternity is going to reveal. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Be whole in the name of Jesus. Be free in the name of Jesus. Come on. You're not too old. You're not too young to be free. You're not too old. You're not too young to be whole. You're not so bad. And things have done that have been done to you are not so bad that you can't be free. If you can't be whole, the love of Jesus makes you free. The love of Jesus makes you whole. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, we need to continue there. The Spirit of the Lord. We need to continue to allow the Spirit of the Lord working there. The Spirit of the Lord releasing. There's healing and operation as we're releasing these things to Him. You heard every memory as the Lord would bring it to the surface. A releasing to Him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Letting your love work in us, God. Letting your love operate in these places where you brought memory to the surface today. Not to bring hurt, but to bring healing. You've allowed these things, God, that may have been buried deep, have come to the surface in this moment because of the love of God in a place of safety where your covering is. And so we seek not to press them back down. Come on, don't try to press them back down, but be willing to release them to the Lord, releasing them and recognizing His perfect love toward us. Jesus in your name. Jesus in your name. We receive it of you, your love, and release the hurt, the wound, the pain to you. 
In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want to tell you something that happens when God begins bringing and healing. You heard Bishop Wright talk about how we press those things down. We, we suppress them. We learn to deal with them, as we call it. We, and we just press them down to avoid. And we say, I'm past it because I don't feel it anymore. Well, really what we've done is we buried it really well. And we've learned to cope with all the, the you know, the soul is the seat of emotion. The soul is the seat of emotion. And so we've learned to deal with it by pressing it so deep. And so when, when the Lord begins ministering like He is right now, we start feeling it come to the surface again. And sometimes it will catch us by surprise because the thought is, I thought I dealt with that. I, I, I thought I dealt with that. I'll never forget praying with a family one time. And walking through this, and something had happened to this lady when she was eight years old. And as we began praying, and God began reaching into her life, her husband was sitting there, and we're praying together and talking, and then pausing and talking, and the Lord's bringing things to the surface. She's releasing them to them. All of a sudden, we were talking about how, now you're going to feel some things come to the surface, but you've got a purpose. God, if you'll bring it to the surface, I'll release it to you. Bishop Wright started talking about fear and love overcoming fear. Well, what happens is fear would lay hold and say, oh, no, you're getting ready to be exposed and humiliated. And that fear of exposure, humiliation, it's the adversary deceiving his causes. Go, no, I'm not. I'm going to keep that under control. I got it all together. This is a safe atmosphere where the spirit of God is and the love of God is. Nothing's being done, calling it. This is between you and the Lord as those emotions and those things, those hurts, those wounds are coming. To, and you're releasing them to him. And the love of God is washing them. This couple, I, I, this is so important for somebody, maybe more than one somebody. Things were buried so deep in this lady. When we begin to speak and the spirit of the Lord begin to reach into that place. It was like nothing I've ever experienced in my life before. She broke, and she started expressing things as though she was an eight-year-old child again. The feelings became so real that took her back to her childhood. She had been pressing it down that long. She was 34 years old, if I remember right at the time. For 26 years, she had been pressing this thing down that had happened to her as a child. And when God brought it to the surface, all of those childlike emotions came out. I'm so thankful her husband was there. She fell into his arms like a little kid. 
and just began to weep as God began to take all that out of her life and she released it to him what had happened to her as a child. There is healing here today. I want us to pray a little bit. We're going to transition in a minute. But there's some things here that if you've got to know if I felt it coming to the surface, but I my book said, oh, no, not here. God's not going to embarrass you. He's not going to humiliate you. This is between you and him. Would you talk to the Lord again? Come on. Would you? Any, you heard Bishop Wright, any memory as it would come, Lord, by your grace, I release it to you and I receive your love for me. Come on, by your grace, God, I release it to you. By your grace, I release it to you. I release it to you. Come on, and if that emotion that comes to the surface causes angst toward an individual that did it, then God, I release them to you and I forgive. I'll not hold that offense either. Come on, sometimes those things are intertwined. And so God, I release that shame to you. I receive your healing, your love, and your forgiveness. And I release that that did the hurt in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we receive the pure and the perfect love of God to minister and operate in the life. We receive your love this morning that is perfect toward us. You are a good father. You love us. You care for us. You do that which brings us into proper relationship with you, God. We worship you and we thank you. We receive it of 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 you. I'm asking you to stand with me this morning. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want you across this room. We're not going to rush through this. Would you begin to give thanks? If you recognize, you're realizing the Lord has, you're receiving His love. You, we've witnessed, we've been witnessing the love of God as we've walked through. Come on, let Him. Come on. Come on. This is the next part. A place of thanksgiving. Yes, Lord. Come on. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Your love. Yes, Lord. Your love. Thank you for perfect love. Thank you for healing love. Thank you for your love that delivers from fear, that delivers from torment. Thank you for your love that draws us into close relationship. Thank you for your love that allows me to put my trust in you, Lord. Come on, as you're thanking him, there is a fountain that's flowing here. As thanks flows out of you, the Spirit of the Lord is pouring in. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Ia rabaye lobo si ele di arabahaya.
Iororie itilie ororia la mahaya Neki endeledi arabaye lobosai Thank you for the sovereign work of your love Thank you for your never-ending love. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I thank you, I thank you. Let it be sealed in our spirit. Let it be sealed in our spirit today, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the healing of the mind, the body, the soul, and the spirit. Thank you for the working of your perfect love. Only you can do these things, Father. Thank you. I thank you, Jesus. 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 I thank you, Jesus, for your perfect love. I remember some of you have heard me share this before. I did not know how to receive the love of God. Now, that may sound crazy. But I had, I had brought the fact that my biological father had left when I was young. And then that my father that raised me hadn't been ideal with some of the things that took place in my life growing up. And so, therefore, shame that was talked about there at the last. I thought something was wrong with me. I thought something was wrong with me. I fell in the trap. This was a story I told myself as a child and a young man. My biological father left because I was unlovable. And then the things that happened in my life later on, were still my fault. I was unlovable. There was something wrong. This is how the adversary will work. Something's wrong with me. That's what shame. That's where shame starts. 
And then I start believing the lie and feeding the lie. Something's wrong with me. When the Lord healed my mind and my spirit and my emotions. I remember being 23 years old and for the first time, this sounds crazy, for the first time fully feeling the love of the Father. Now, I know I'd experienced his love on the journey, you understand? But for the first time, his love washing over me and going, this is what the love of a father feels like. Safe, secure, cared for, taken care of. This is the love of the father. No fear. No worries. Why? Because I'm covered by the father. He knows everything I have need of. He provides. He knows what I have need of before I even ask. I remember. You understand. In our world, there are so many fatherless. But we have a heavenly father above. What's the song say? With arms full of mercy and a heart full of love. We need to receive. And I believe we have been doing so today. The love of the Father. Could we thank Him again? Come on, let thanksgiving flow out of your spirit. Let thanksgiving flow out of your spirit. I pray the love of God ministering in every heart. I pray the love of God ministering in every life. I pray the love of God where every life that would receive it. I pray the manifold love of God expressed again and again. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Thank you for being in the house of God today. Um, we are going to seek to capture um, the service and union gap. And then go from there and making it available. Uh, Bishop Wright let me to know. He said, this was part one. He said, part two, he'll be ministering there. And so he'll get part two available to us. Um, and so we will do that. And then when it is done, we'll let you know. We'll send you a link. Um, amen. Let the word of God be sealed in our spirit today.
Praise God. Thank you for being here. We're dismissed in Jesus' name. I had somebody motion to me. We, we don't have any ushers. If you have a desire to do something with offering and stuff, there's baskets up here. Feel free to do so as you're dismissed. God bless you in Jesus' name.